everyone. Welcome to the Autumn Mystics podcast. I'm Elle, and I'm an astrologer. And I'm Kate, and I'm a tarot reader. This podcast is meant for anyone interested in tarot, astrology, and witchcraft, no matter where they are in their practice. We started our business to share our knowledge and connect with other witchy people. We hope to support you on your unique path. And help you discover your authentic self. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's get started on our main topic. So, Elle, what did you want to talk about today? Today, I really wanted to finish up the intro to astrology little series that we've been doing. You know, we did one for tarot and one for astrology. Mm -hmm. So, I want to talk about the houses today. And also, I have a little bit about the angles and the aspects because now that we've talked about the signs and the planets, you can really start blending all of these things together. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so like I said in the previous two episodes, the planets, signs, and houses answer the questions, what, how, and where. So the houses are talking about where in your life the energy from the planets and the signs is being expressed. Now, some people will talk about the houses having a ruler, and that's really more of a modern approach. So some people will say that Aries rules the first house, and I don't particularly like that or subscribe to that interpretation. And the reason why is because if you say that Aries rules the first house and is ruled by Mars and all of a sudden you have a hard time separating what's different about those three things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that the signs, the planets and the houses, even though they're all connected, they they have their own energies. They're all distinct from each other. There, yes, and that's something that I learned from, I think, Kelly Surtees, who's more of a Hellenistic astrologer. And so that's more of a traditional approach. And so that goes back to what I talked about, I think, in the types of astrology episode, that you're allowed to take different interpretations from within tropical astrology. So you don't have to For example, you could use the modern rulership for the signs. So you could say that Pluto rules Scorpio, but then you could still say that none of the signs rule a house. And you could take a more traditional approach to uh, house rulership, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. Because, you know, I also find it a little odd, right? Like, if Aries rules the first house then to me it would feel like the expression would be different if your first house is Aries, but there's only one way in which that can happen, is if Aries Mm -hmm. is your rising. Yeah, and I will say that... It, It really is important to have a distinction because you can have any rising sign. Right any of the 12 could be your rising sign. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it feels like it gives preference to Aries risings, basically, mm-hmm. if you say that Aries rules the first house. So there is something important to note 
that when you're talking to somebody who does not ascribe rulership to the houses, sometimes they will still say, look to the sign that rules that house. And in that case, they're talking about the sign that is in that house in your specific chart. Mm. So if somebody has if somebody has Aries ruling their second house, that means that they're a Pisces rising. Okay. Oh yeah, because it goes backwards, doesn't it? Yeah, I just use that as an example because I'm a Pisces rising, so I know what signs are in the houses just like off the top of my head. But so sometimes you'll have people say when they use whole sign houses like I do that Aries rules the second house, but it doesn't rule the second house for everyone. It's just the sign that's in my second house. Okay. So sometimes it it does get a little bit confusing and I wish that we had a few better words for it. Mm -hmm. I think that would be helpful. So if anybody wants to invent some new words, that works for (laughs) me. So, so today when you talk about, if you talk about rulership, you're talking about the sign that the, that, or the house that that sign happens to be in. Correct. Yes. That's how I approach it. Which changes Uh, for each person. Okay, cool. Yeah. It changes for each person. I don't, I don't think that there's a sign that always rules the first house. I just don't think that that, that doesn't make sense in my practice. And part of the reason it doesn't make sense is because I do use whole sign houses. So there are different house systems and people will, it basically divides the houses up differently based on the system that you choose Mm. because the houses are not something external in the world. They're part of the birth chart, but they're not actually like present in the sky. Okay, yeah, it's like it's just an area of the sky, not. It's not even an area of the sky so much as it's just the houses are part of the birth chart. And the sign is the area of the sky and the planet is in one of those areas. Yeah. So the houses are like bringing it down to earth. And they've been around for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. But I particularly like to use whole sign houses because whole sign gives one sign, one whole house. And that's why it's called whole sign. That makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, so wherever your ascendant angle falls in that sign, for example, I think my ascendant is at like 19 degrees Pisces. So that whole sign of Pisces is my first house. Uh And same thing if you had, you know, something at two degrees of Leo, then all of Leo is your first house in whole sign houses. And there's another way to do that. There's an, yeah, there's other systems. And typically when you go onto astro.com or astroseek.com, astro-seek.com, the default system is usually Placidus and they divide up the houses differently based on the angles of your chart, I believe. Mm. But to me, having a sign be in two houses was very confusing and didn't feel as authentic. So I don't actually know that much about the other house systems. Okay. But if you hear people talking about house cusps, 
they're typically using a different system than whole sign. Okay. Because the cusp, the house cusp is not important in whole sign. Oh, all right. Good to know. Yeah. I think it just makes it easier to understand. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand how you could have two signs within one house and how that would work. That would, that would also confuse me. Mm-hmm. I found it much harder to interpret charts that way. And I also found that when I interpret other people's charts using whole sign, usually it seems to resonate with them pretty strongly. Okay. So that's part of why I picked that house system. But you definitely can pick any of them that works for your practice. Okay, so I think we're going to move on and talk about a few words that you can associate with each house. There's a lot of different things that could fall within a certain house. For example, like podcasting, that Mm. would fall within the third house. But when you go look up house meanings, it's not necessarily going to say podcasting under the third house, like designations. Right, yeah. And so they have these kind of themes that are overarching for the house. And then a bunch of other specific things could fall within a certain house. Okay. So I think it'll be best to just get started and it'll make more sense as we talk about the actual designations for each house. So we're just going to go one through 12. So the first house, which in whole sign is your rising sign, has the first impressions and your identity. So what people see when they first meet you, what is most obvious about you, that is first house. Okay. Some other things that could fall in the first house would be your style. So like how you present yourself. Like, so fashion, for example, can fall within the first house, but you're not necessarily going to see people say fashion. Mm. And then other people talk about, too, just your physical appearance. So I've heard people that have Pisces risings like I do can sometimes have, like, rounder faces. And so there's literal physical appearance changes that you may be able to notice based on the sign that falls in someone's first house. Oh, That's kind of neat. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, I don't know that much about the changes in physical appearance that you might notice, but I have definitely heard people discuss that. That would explain my hair then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My hair is very big and voluminous and curly, and I am a Leo rising. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. It's pretty funny. Okay, the second house, I definitely think of the second house involving money, but also the things that you value. So Mm. your, you know, do you most value passion? Do you most value integrity? Do you most value empathy? Those kinds of things can be seen by the sign that falls in your second house. Okay, so this stuff matters to you. Yeah, stuff that matters to you. It's the first house to come after the first house. So it's, you're like starting to individuate. And so a lot of people talk about the houses and also the signs as a cycle. And you'll kind of see that as we progress through that the later houses become more kind of grown up and 
more visible than the earlier houses. Okay. You mature as you go through the cycle. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's that's one interpretation of it, and I really like that interpretation. I think it makes sense. And so, just for clarification for my own sake. Well, if you think about it as making progress forward, the third house is your early life. And then as you move on, you're going to later, you're going to get to marriage and your career even stronger. And that's why I associate the second house Mm -hmm. with the more entrepreneurial stuff and the less day to day, because it does come before the third house, which is your early education. Okay. So like family has a much bigger impact when you're younger because you're near them all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And another thing that can fall in the third house is short journeys. So like if you're going on a weekend trip, mm-hmm. you could look for a transit to your third house and you might have a more pleasant trip because you have a, a good transit to the third house. What's a transit again? A transit, we're definitely going to do a whole episode on transits, but transits are just where the planet currently is in the sky. Oh, so okay. I, I keep using my chart as an example because I have my chart memorized. Right. So right now I have a third house transit. Jupiter is transiting through Taurus and Taurus is in my third house. Okay. And I do actually have a lot of short trips planned for early in the spring. Okay. So hopefully they go well. (laughs) Um, But if you're looking, everybody, the house that something is transiting is determined by your rising sign. So as a Pisces rising, Pisces is in my first house, Aries is in my second house, and Taurus is in my third house. But Jupiter is transiting Taurus for everyone. Right. So you have to look to your specific chart and you need your birth time to determine your rising sign. Right to be able to cast the whole chart, quote unquote, appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, So Taurus, Jupiter is in Taurus for everyone, but the house that Taurus falls in for you will be different than the house it falls in for me, unless you're also a Pisces rising. Right. So the fourth house is your home and family. And it's really about like your roots. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, things that are stable, things that are, well, hopefully stable, and things that are private um, would definitely fall in the fourth house. Okay. So, and part of the reason for that is, especially when you use whole sign, the fourth house is at the bottom of your chart. And the way that the chart works, the sun, okay, hang on, let me back up. Okay. I'm trying to think of how to explain it in the best way. Because the the top of your chart is the public part of your chart and the bottom part is the private. So it's divided by that axis. Mm. Okay. The bottom half of your chart represents things that were underneath the earth and hidden from view when you were born. So that's a really interesting thing to talk about. If you have somebody with their son in the 
first through the sixth house versus if you have somebody with their son in the seventh through the twelfth, they'll have a different experience, even if it's in the same sign. Okay. Just because it's more, they play things more close to the chest and things like that? People, I think people with their son that was hidden when they were born are sometimes can be more reserved. Obviously, you have to take the whole chart into account Mm -hmm. to figure that out. But, you know, it's going to change no matter what house it's in, but you can divide the chart into quadrants, basically, where you can divide it down the middle lengthways or horizontal ways and make generalizations about those halves. Okay. Well, and then I guess that makes sense why you're your rising, which would be right on that middle line, would be right between those two, right? So it's like your public-facing self, but also informs how you see yourself. Mm-hmm, because it's right on the dividing line. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so the fifth house talks a lot about creativity and romance, And also uh, children typically fall into the fifth house. And then other things like uh, recreation can also fall into the fifth house. So is it childlike things and like you as a child or is would your own children fall into that? It's a bit of both, I think. Okay. It's definitely got a childlike feeling to the fifth house. So things that bring you a childlike joy, <laughs> you could look at the fifth house for that. Okay. Um, a lot of people I do also think look to the fifth house to talk about what what your relationship might be like with your children. Mm-hmm. Okay. The sixth house is about your health and your daily routines. So if you're going to start working out, if you want to change, you know, your relationship with food, if you want to get a pet, like all of that stuff is going to fall into sixth house. And because it's associated with your daily routines, it can also be associated with work because typically people are working almost daily. Right. It, it itself becomes a routine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So six house transits are really, really interesting. I like them. I just had one that was the Venus retrograde was in my sixth house. And so I was like, re- I got really into like watching makeup tutorials. Oh. The Venus retrograde in my sixth house. It was very, it was like, Venus retrograde in Leo in the sixth house. And I was like, that kind of makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. But that does make a whole lot of sense. Okay, so the seventh house is definitely associated with marriage very strongly. But I also think it's associated with partnerships and and close one-on-one relationships. So your relationship with your very best friend is a seventh house theme. So it's us. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> us, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And those really are the biggest things for the seventh house is marriage and partnerships. Okay, so it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be like a business partnership too? I think so. And that really follows up with the eighth house because as you progress from the seventh house to the eighth house, you start talking about uh, intimacy and sharing things like finances. Mm. So you could see like a seventh house transit and you get married or a seventh house transit and you uh, establish a business or whatever. And that doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. the transit where those things happen, but it definitely can be. And then as you progress, you start sharing finances and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. That, that is the next natural step of things. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people talk about the eighth house uh, containing like sex and death. And it's like all of these taboo topics. I do think the eighth house is associated with the taboo things with things like the occult. But I don't think that it necessarily has to be this big, scary thing. It's, And that's why I associate it more with the word intimacy than anything else, because intimacy can be really uncomfortable. And the eighth house holds a lot of those uncomfortable things. Hmm. Okay. Didn't, didn't you say I have something going on in my eighth house at the moment? Your Saturn return is in your eighth house because you're ah. a Leo rising. So you're, you were born with Saturn in Pisces and Saturn is transiting through Pisces right now. Right. Because so for context, I am about to make a relatively big decision to move in with the boyfriend, which does also mean moving across the country. Um, and so I've been nervous about it for quite a while now um and we were talking about it the other day and uh and Elle mentioned that I was I was having something transit through my eighth house so that makes sense that I'd be making that kind of commitment especially with Saturn because Saturn is a very you need to take things seriously and this is a big deal mm-hmm. patient it gives off a lot of, of serious commitment vibes <laughs> Um, and then it's transiting through your eighth house. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah. Okay, the ninth house is associated a lot with religion, higher education, travel, especially foreign travel, and philosophy. So mm. one thing you can think about with the ninth house is a search for meaning mm-hmm. and those bigger questions in life, you know, you've grown up and if you're talking about the houses as a cycle, you've grown up and you have a partner and you started merging your life with someone. And now these big questions that maybe you had as a kid are coming back around. Sounds vaguely midlife crisis-y. Yeah. A little, but I, for me, I think the ninth house is a really positive thing. Right. Yeah. Like expanding your knowledge and things but I I also have a ninth house stellium so I'm a little bit biased I I have uh, Scorpios in my ninth house and I have three planets in Scorpio in the ninth house and so I 
feel very strongly those ninth house themes in my life. Um, I've gone to graduate school. I found religion and lost it. Like I have become really interested in the big questions in politics, in spirituality in general. And so that makes sense from an astrological perspective because I have such a heavy focus on the ninth house in my chart. Mm. All right. So the 10th house talks about your career and reputation. And it's definitely sort of the most public point of the chart. Well, the most public point of the chart is technically the MC angle. We're going to get to that in a minute. But it's the most public area of your chart, I guess, would be the best way to put it, is the 10th house. So things that you have ambition to achieve, your public image, how people would see you in a professional setting, that is very 10th house. Okay. Um, And so that, like I said earlier, is one of the houses associated with work. So when you think about 10th house with public and professional image, it makes sense that it's related to your career. Yeah, like very overarching kind of where you're headed overall. Okay, so the 11th house is associated with friendship and community. So your bigger community, not just your family but the people that live around you, your neighbors, people on different teams, if you're on a sports team, or if you're in some kind of club or organization, that those kinds of relationships would fall within the 11th house. Okay, so more, more focused on the group than the individual relationships, like in, what was that, the 6th house? The... I would say individual relationships are more like fifth and seventh house because Mm -hmm. with the house you have romance. So like dating Mm -hmm. and the seventh house, you have marriage and partnerships, but the 11th house is more associated, like you said, with groups. Okay. And if you share like a common goal with other people, that is very 11th house. Okay. And then the last house is the 12th house, and it talks a lot about the unconscious mind, the collective experience, themes of like service or sacrifice can be really prominent with the 12th house. And you can kind of think of that as like you've completed the cycle, and so now you're merging back in with the whole. I think a lot of people think about it that way. Mm. Um, And I, the 12th house, I think is really interesting. It's one of those, a lot of people have trouble with the 8th and the 12th houses because they're just a little bit more difficult to wrap your mind around. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the 10th house of career is very concrete and easy to understand. Yeah, 12th seems a little more amorphous. Yeah, and that to me makes sense because it's kind of associated with like the end of things and the end of life right and like almost becoming one with everything else when when your first house is about you as an individual Mm -hmm. yeah you go from individual all the way around to the 12th house is the collective Mm. 
one thing I've noticed when I've read for people is a uh, 12th house moon placement is very interesting. And I definitely associate that with someone who's very intuitive and very tapped into the collective experience and the collective emotions of the people around them. Mm. Or even people maybe that they've never met. That would be a 12th house moon thing. Okay. Where's my moon? Now I, now I want to know. I can't remember. I'd have to pull up your chart. I'm a Scorpio moon and I'm a Leo rising. Oh, right. I uh, can't math. Um, your moon is in your fourth house, I believe, right? Because it's Leo first, Virgo second, Libra third, Scorpio fourth. Okay. So, for, like, a fourth house moon is going to have an emphasis on home and family. And with it being the moon, your home and family situation could be changeable. And with it being the moon, you could need, let's see, you have Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Scorpio n- moons need like a very clear and direct approach, like a, obvious honesty would be Mm. very necessary for Scorpio moon. And so for someone with a Scorpio moon to feel emotionally secure, people have to be authentic in who they are, or the Scorpio moon person is going to feel immediately distrustful. And with the Scorpio moon in the fourth house, that's going to be really important to you, especially in your home and family. So if you don't feel safe in your home your emotions are going to be out of whack i wish you could see all the faces i'm making right now because like feeling called out (laughs) well and that's the really cool thing about astrology is i know you really well Mm -hmm. so i know things that like i know that honesty is very important to you but honesty is very important i would say to everyone with a scorpio moon Right. So you can extrapolate those things from just looking at someone's chart. You can get a pretty good guess of things that are important to them, things that they need to feel emotionally secure, things that they find attractive and qualities that they find valuable. All of that stuff you can see in a chart. And obviously you have the free will to make choices and changes. Mm-hmm. Right. But your preferences are very prominent in your chart just anybody's preferences are prominent in their chart yeah honestly like getting into my astrology has helped me with kind of realizing what my knee-jerk reaction to things is like even if I don't like that reaction I end up not acting on it that's one thing but like always somewhere in the back of my head the the reaction that is quote-unquote expected out of my chart is usually the first one I have Mm -hmm. and because I know what those are now I can recognize it and be like hmm maybe I'm not trusting this and I and that's just like I need to calm down and I need to just see if I can go with it and everything will be fine (laughs) I think astrology really gives you a lot of power for self-acceptance and for personal growth Mm-hmm. Because it lets you see things on their default setting, essentially. 
Mm-hmm. And you get to decide if that's how you want to act moving forward. But I think it's really hard to make changes and to grow as a person if you don't first accept yourself. Okay, so I have the angles and the aspects to talk about briefly because mm. those things will become important as you're blending aspects of the charts together. So there's four angles in a chart. There's the AC, the DC, the IC, and the MC. And those all have abbreviation. It's like an abbreviation. So AC mm-hmm. for ascendant. And the MC and the IC, I think, are Latin words that were associated with those angles. So I don't know exactly what those are abbreviations for. Mm. But your AC is your ascendant, which is the angle that determines your rising sign. So wherever the sky was meeting the earth, that is your rising sign, or that's your ascendant angle, which is going to fall within one of the 12 signs. So like I said earlier, my the angle that the earth was having on the eastern horizon when I was born was 19 degrees of Pisces. Okay. So then, so uh, your rising and, and your ascendant will be the same sign, but the ascendant has the specific angle associated with it. Yes, the ascendant... Okay the specific degree within that sign that was meeting the horizon of the earth. So, but your ascendant and your rising sign will always be the same. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Then your descendant is directly opposite of the ascendant. So it was where the earth was meeting the sky on the Western horizon when you were born. And the difference between these two is that the ascendant is things that you feel very strongly. It's the energy that comes easiest to you. And the descendant energy is the things that you are looking for, the things that you find attractive and compelling and that you would look for in a relationship can be represented by the descendant angle. Okay. Now, typically the ascendant and the descendant fall in the first and seventh houses, but when you're using whole signs, um, sometimes it can be like right on the border because it's not using the angle to create the house. It's the angles falling within a house. Right. So, and then you can see too how the descendant would be associated with relationships and attraction because it is typically going to fall in the seventh house and that's associated with marriage okay right so i'm trying to think of what my seventh house is virgo and i have a virgo descendant you know they're the same Mm -hmm. and i uh, married someone who has a lot of prominent earth placements he does he does virgo placements but he has earth placements in his chart and he has more of a stable earth sign energy to him than I do because that's what I was looking for in somebody else whereas I don't have a lot of prominent earth sign placements and I kind of lack that more stability that Mm -hmm. earth signs typically carry okay and then the other two angles are the MC and the IC The MC is the most public point in your chart, 
and the IC is the most private point in your chart. Typically, these are going to fall in the 10th house for the MC and the 4th house for the IC, but when you use whole sign, it can be shifted one way or the other. Okay. That is one of the weaknesses of whole sign is that these angles don't necessarily always fall in the 10th or the 4th house. Hmm. But I actually think that that's more of a strength because if your MC falls in your 11th house, for example, then the most public point of your chart, your career, all of that kind of stuff can be tied in with 11th house themes. So themes of the community, the group, teamwork, friendship. Mm. So that would be somebody that has an MC in the 11th house could be really drawn to things that are like community service positions. So nurses, counselors, all that kind of stuff. Of course, you also have to take into account the sign. Right. That's, you know, the MC is falling into. But I think that it's kind of cool when it falls outside of the 10th house, because that gives you even more insight, especially into your career. And then the IC, if it falls outside of the fourth house, that gives you even more insight into the things that are very important to you, especially in your immediate environment. And then as far as the aspects go, aspects is, it's important to differentiate between the angles and the aspects because the angles are those four points in your chart. And they'll be marked on your chart with like a solid black line and it'll say AC or DC next to it. Mm -hmm. Aspects is another word for angles, but it's angles between the planets, not these fixed angles that are in your chart at a certain degree. Oh, these are all the crazy lines that are in the middle. These are all of the blue and red lines that are in the middle, kind of crisscrossing around your chart. And they are telling you how the different planets are interacting. And there are a ton of aspects. There are five major types of aspects, but then there are also a lot of minor aspects that as you become more advanced in your astrology, you can definitely look into those. But I definitely recommend just starting with the five major aspects. And so I wanted to go through those briefly just so that you have an idea of what you'll be looking at. So the major aspects are the trine, the square, the opposition, the conjunction, and the sextile. And these aspects are determined by the degrees of separation between planets or objects. Okay. So a conjunction is probably the easiest one to start with. That's when there's zero degrees of separation between the planets or objects. So if you have a sun and moon conjunction, then you were born with the sun and the moon right next to each other, which means you were born on a new moon. Yeah, it's really cool, right? So when you're talking about conjunctions you have to think about that relationship between the planets. So for example, with a sun and moon conjunction, 
well, and with any conjunction, you're going to be blending those themes, blending those functions together. So with a sun and moon, you're going to be blending the themes of identity with themes of emotional security, blending themes of your purpose and your potential with the themes of your intuition and your rituals and cycles in life. Okay. Do you have any conjunctions in your chart? Oh, I would have to pull it up, but I can do that. I have my laptop right here. Is that I feel like that wouldn't be particularly common just because I, I don't imagine that planets are in the same degree for too particularly long. Well, I mean, unless they're one of the outer planets that travel really freaking slow. So one thing that you have to take into account, to, I have to explain this to answer your question. Mm-hmm. One thing you have to take into account is something called orbs when you're talking about aspects. And an orb is the amount of degrees that you're willing to let it be not quite exact. So if you had an Mm. exact conjunction, say at 10 degrees, then for example, both your sun and your moon would be at exactly 10 degrees of whatever sign they're falling into. Okay. But you can use something called an orb, which is, most astrologers use them. Everybody differs a little bit on the amount of degrees. But for example, if you used a two degree orb and you had your sun at 10 degrees of Libra or whatever, mm-hmm. then your moon would be considered in conjunction with the sun if it was anywhere from eight degrees to 12 degrees of Libra. Okay. The tighter the aspect, so the, the less amount of wiggle room basically that you give the stronger the aspect is going to be so personally I like using a pretty small orb like two or three degrees for all of the aspects even though some people will tell you that with a conjunction you can give more wiggle room or with an opposition you can give more wiggle room and I prefer to just keep it really tight because then I know that those aspects are very strongly impacting the chart okay yeah, I'm looking at my chart now, and it looks like I don't have any conjunctions that are exact. My closest one, it looks like, is my Saturn is almost conjunct with my Ascendant. There's a two-degree separation there. So I was misspeaking earlier when I said my Ascendant was at 19 degrees Pisces. My Ascendant is at 21 degrees Pisces. My Saturn is at 19 degrees Pisces. Ah. Uh-huh. So that's a pretty strong one, in my opinion. The only other one that I really see as far as the major things is I have Mars and Pluto are only two degrees apart. Uh, And if you take Chiron into account, I do have an exact conjunction of Chiron and Mercury. But some people... Chiron's an asteroid... That's, ah. I think it's like a really big asteroid or something, and that's why it's made its way into astrology. Ah. Um, and it's used a lot in evolutionary and spiritual perspectives because of the mythology around Chiron being like a wounded healer. I think Chiron was a centaur in mythology. Yes. So 
the idea of a wounded healer is strongly associated with this Chiron asteroid. Hmm. So with Chiron conjunct Mercury, one thing you might see is somebody who is sensitive or easily hurt by words, which I for sure am. Okay, that's interesting. And all of these, the expression of all the planets, like we've talked about before, is going to change over the course of your life, and especially when transits come in to activate these natal placements. Right, as the sky moves. Mm -hmm. As the sky moves, the effect on your birth chart, because your birth chart is a snapshot of the sky, it doesn't change, but the sky keeps changing, and so the effect that the transiting planets have on you is going to be different based on your natal chart. Right. Which is why, you know, it's really important everybody starts with your birth chart when they're learning astrology, because it's really helpful to have that anchor point of knowing how things are affecting you and then you can think about how things affect other people and begin to pull in reading for others Mm. okay we have four more aspects to go through okay but they should make a lot of sense they to me it makes sense the words that we're going to associate with each one so we did the conjunction and that's zero degrees of separation The opposition is 180 degrees of separation. So planets that are exactly opposite across the birth chart from each other are said to be in opposition. And the function that that opposition causes is attention. So I'm going to keep using the sun and the moon as an example. So if you have your sun and your moon in opposition, Instead of blending those themes, there's going to be a tension between those themes. So you might feel like your identity is sometimes in conflict with your intuition or your emotional needs. You might feel like your potential is like that it's hard to balance between the two. Mm. Like kind of tug of war a little bit? Kind of tug of war, yeah. Okay. The trine is 120 degrees of separation, and the word or the function that a trine performs is to have a harmony between these planets. And the reason for that is because when you have 120 degrees of separation, that means that those two planets or objects are falling into signs of the same element. So if you had a trine between your sun in Cancer and your moon in Scorpio, that would be both water signs. And so that's always true. Whatever sign they're in, they're going to be the same. Yeah. So for, for it to trine, it has to be in the same element for it to be 120 degrees apart because of the way that the zodiac is set up. So if you have your sun in Aries, for example, you could trine something in Sagittarius or you could trine something in Leo. And then when you have maybe three things that all make this triangle across the chart, that's called a grand trine. Mm. So if you had like sun in Aries, moon in Sagittarius and 
Pluto in Leo, then you would have this grand trine where all of the fire signs were acting in harmony in your chart. The square is one of the other aspects, and that is 90 degrees of separation. So that should make sense to you because of 90 degree angles. So with squares, you're going to have signs that share the same modality, but are opposite elements, basically. Hmm. And so these things are going to be in conflict with each other. And conflict is really the best word for squares, and tension is the best word for oppositions. Oppositions are a little bit easier to integrate and to work with than squares. Squares are, like, tough. (laughs) Um, So, for example, I have a square from, I think, my son in Libra to Uranus in Capricorn. So Libra and Capricorn are both cardinal signs but air and earth have a hard time working together fair right yeah Yeah. (laughs) makes sense so one aspect that i think is particularly difficult is to have your sun squaring your moon because then you're gonna feel like these two parts of yourself are almost irreconcilable because you would have your sun say, in Virgo, and then your moon would be in Sagittarius. And that can be hard to work with because fire and earth don't necessarily work very well together. So I would have assumed that it's the other way, right? That oppositions are more difficult to deal with because they are so opposite and so different. Mm Mm-hmm. But an, So an opposition is more like, oh, that guy over there, I don't like him, but I'll just ignore him. Whereas the square is more like, nah, fuck that guy, we gonna fight. This, the square has a lot more, like, friction, I feel like, associated with it. Mm-hmm. Because when you have signs that are in opposition, they fundamentally have something in common. Because mm. if you have a placement in Leo and then a placement in Aquarius, those two signs fundamentally share some of the same values. So it's easier to integrate across like that. And if you guys are interested in the different themes that connect these sign pairs, so Aries and Libra, Taurus and Scorpio, Gemini, Sagittarius, Cancer, Capricorn, Leo, Aquarius, and Virgo and Pisces, each of those pairs has a theme that connects them. And I have a resource up on our website about that. So if you guys are interested in that, it's up on the website and it's called Sister Sign Themes. And I sort of developed that as I was learning astrology for my own personal practice. And I haven't seen anybody else really talk about it. And I think it is really important. So to give an example of Aries and Libra, I think the theme that connects Aries and Libra is the theme of justice. Hmm. So, and when you start to see that these, the pairs support each other, I think that'll make it make more sense why an opposition is easier to work with than a square. 
Right, yeah, because there's just, there is a thread that kind of ties them together a little bit, whereas squares are just like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, squares are, like, Libra and Capricorn don't have that much in common. Other than cardinal modality, they're very different. And that's part of what makes the square very difficult to work with. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but obviously it's not impossible. Plenty of people have squares in their charts. And then the last aspect or the last major aspect is the sextile. And that is 60 degrees of separation. So the function that a sextile performs is a supportive function. So that is something that you'll see between signs like Libra and Leo or between Taurus and Cancer. So these signs that are only one in between them, Mm. those two signs will connect through a sextile sometimes. Okay. So that was literally my sun and my rising. That's interesting. But those aren't planets, so that wouldn't be a sextile, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people only apply the aspects to the actual planets, You can apply them to any object in the chart or any of the angles, but typically I think people talk about them just between the planets. Okay. So did you have anything else you wanted to add about the houses or the angles or the aspects, Kate? Um... No, and honestly, you you clarified a lot of things for me, because specifically the the aspect specifically, I've always kind of struggled with those. Um, Because, you know, all I knew before you started really looking into this stuff was the thing about, you know, the signs and the planets. And that was kind of it. I didn't even know anything about houses or aspects like this whole, this whole episode has been a lot of great clarification for me. So thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. And it is really important the, the fundamental pieces of the birth chart are the signs, the planets, and the houses. Mm-hmm. And then you have, on top of that, you have things like angles, aspects, the different divisions you can make of the chart, like the below the earth and above the earth. But if you don't use the houses or if you don't know your birth time, it's hard for astrology to be super accurate because mm. you need to be able to see how the sign, the planet, and the house all blend together to give you a specific insight for that person. All right, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and pull a card to see if there's anything else we need to talk about. I'm using the Woodland Warden's deck like I have been in the last few episodes. I just love it so much. It's very, it's kind of cozy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I pulled the lizard and pitcher plant, and the meaning on the card says stagnation. So I'm going to go ahead mm-hmm. and open the guidebook and read what the creator of the deck has to say. All right. The lizard and pitcher plant, meaning stagnation. The carnivorous pitcher plant traps its prey within its leaves. The lizard, which may occasionally find itself ensnared in a pitcher plant's trap, has come to represent death and resurrection as it possesses the unique ability to drop its tail when struck. 
A new tale can grow in the old one's place, though it's never quite the same as the original. You may be feeling stuck, frozen in place, or without escape. Reflect on the lizard's ability to shed and regrow its tail. There may be things in your life that you can leave behind, making way for new growth. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm just hella connecting that to me moving. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much the cards know that we're recording a podcast, but <laughs> I, I definitely see how this applies because as you learn more about astrology, I think it's really easy to stagnate and to feel stuck in that path forward because mm. there's so much knowledge you know, it's been thousands of years that astrology has been around. And so there's so much knowledge generated about astrology. It can get really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see that from specifically learning astrology, but I also see how that connects to what I was talking about with the transits where you're going to change as your life goes on. You know, you're not going to stay the same. And so if you feel like you're in kind of a stagnant place, one way to start moving forward from an astrological perspective is to look at the transits and Hmm. to see where are you going to be supported to make changes. And you can look, yeah, you can look to the house and also the sign that a transit is happening in for the energetic support. So for example, with my third house transit, I have Jupiter transiting through Taurus in my third house. So I have been supported energetically to expand my communication endeavors, expand my writing. And so I've started trying to write a novel and I've started this podcast and all of those things came about at this time because of the way the planets were supporting my like personal journey if you're talking about it from an astrological perspective all right so I do have a really good book recommendation if anybody would like that and that is trust your timing by Alice Bell Um, it should have just released in the U.S. I got a UK copy last year because I could not wait to read it. And it's really good. She talks about astrology from a relationship perspective and timing of relationships. Okay. So I will put a link to that in the show notes for sure. And then I will also put a link to the sister sign themes download from the website. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you find this podcast valuable, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find the podcast. You can always connect with us on our website at autumnmystics.com. We also have Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you have any feedback or a particular topic you'd like us to talk about, please email us. All of our contact information is in the show notes, our email, our phone number, everything. Yeah, and if you do connect with us on social media, our only handle on every platform is at autumnmystics95. Any other variation is not us. We'll never DM you soliciting any of our services. The only way to book a reading with us is through our website. 
If you're interested in a reading, Kate offers tarot and numerology readings, and I offer astrology readings. Any products or services that we talk about on this show are not sponsorships. However, we will not recommend anything that we've never tried. And, um, I mean, if we recommend it, we recommend it. We just don't make any money from that. Yeah, so until next time. Stay witchy. Thank you.